Well, Brother Ken, I want you to know, uh, thank you for uh, the introduction this morning. And, and I can relate to you in this that um, I oftentimes am so overwhelmed by the beauty of my wife, as you are by yours, that we forget their names. Uh, and so uh, I just want you to know, it's just good to be with you this morning. Uh, I, yeah, It is, it is, amen. It's just good to be with the body of Christ. I want you to know, and hopefully they don't put this on the internet, okay? But you are the standard in which I measure every church. Okay, you are, you are. You're the standard by which I measure every church because you're, you're the memory that I have of what it meant to listen to the word of God preached and to be loved by the people of God. Um, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, I know I've had a chance to send videos. They've done different days for Brother Kelly and other things in this church, and I've never actually got the opportunity to come back and just speak to you and to say thank you uh, for your investment in me. And so uh, I'm praying for your pastor as he is refreshing himself in God's Word and, and so many other. I hope you're praying for him uh, in these coming weeks and just encourage you, exhort you to continue to pray for your pastor, how important that is to pray for your pastor. And so uh, let's worship the Lord. must have felt when David stood to face Goliath on a hill I imagine that he shook with all his might until you took his hand and held on tight Cause you were there, you were there In the midst of danger's snare You were there, you were there Always You were there when the hardest fight Seemed so out of reach Oh, you were there You were always there you were always there. So there he stood upon that hill, and Abraham with knife in hand was poised to kill but God in all his sovereignty had bigger plans and just in time you brought the lamb cause you were there you were there in the midst of the unclear you were there you were there always you were there when obedience 
seemed to not make sense. Oh, you were there. You were always there. You were always there. So how did I learn that my ways aren't as high as you are? You alone keep the universe from crumbling into dust. You are God, and though we would not have understood you, there you were, hanging blameless on a cross. You would rather die than leave us in the dark. Every moment. Every plan, coincidence, just all makes sense with your last breath. You were there, you were there during history's darkest hour. You were there, you were there. You were the victor and the king. You were the power in David's sling. You were the calm in Abraham. You were the God who understands. You were the, you were the living, holy one. You were, you are, and you will always be the risen Lamb of God. Praise the Lord. Andrew asked me if, uh, if I would be willing to sing today. I told him, uh, normally, you know, I just like to sing anyway. It's fun. But in preparing to preach, it's just a different mindset, you know, and when you're going to sing and when you're going to preach. And so I was like, normally I don't, but my mom would kill me if I didn't sing. And so I was like, sure thing, absolutely. And if my mom didn't kill me, my aunt would. And so uh, that's that's fun. So praise the Lord, though. You guys actually sang my favorite song today, and, and that wasn't it. It was actually, um, and my kids will know this because it's the one I put on. They roll their eyes every time I put it on. But uh, they do. Did your kids ever do that when you put a song? They're like, come on, Dad, would you play something more fun, you know? Um, but the whoa, you know, in Christ alone, you know, I, the reason I love in Christ alone, my favorite, favorite hymn slash worship songs, like however you want to quantify that or classify that. I like songs like in Christ alone because you can't put it in a category. You know what I'm talking about? It just proclaims God's truth over and over and over again. But the reason I like that song is because you can't whisper that song. You can't, and especially that version when it goes, I find my peace, I find my help in Christ alone. No matter how ugly you sing, you have to get it, you know? 
I mean, you do. You have to be, it doesn't matter how good or bad you sing. You just, oh, I find my hope, you know, in Christ alone. When fear assails, when darkness falls, I find my hope in Christ alone. Amen, you know. There is nothing else. That's the problem with the world. They're finding their hope in something else. And what they find when they get to the end, like that story of that young man, is that the devil pays in counterfeit. He doesn't pay in real money. It's only in Christ alone. And you don't have to be a preacher to figure that out. One of the reasons I love Brian Autry, okay, and I'll go ahead and say is I had had the privilege of ministering him from when I was 15 years old in this church all the way up until two and a half years ago, three and a half years ago now, when he decided to listen to Satan and go pastor the SBCV. I'm just kidding. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm kidding. That's, that's, that's preacher sarcasm. Um, but one of the reasons I love him is, do you know, the heroes of his faith are not full-time vocational pastors. I want you to know, as someone who worked very closely with him, the heroes of the faith are the men and women who worked at a shipyard like his dad and others, who then in turn lived out their faith in the public spectrum of life, and then they still honored the Lord with their lips there, and then they came to church and served. And I tell you what, man, that, that, that is how God has built my faith. You know, I, I am, I'm just blessed to be here with you today. It's so good. I can just recount story after story after story, but I won't. Open up God's Word. Uh, Acts chapter 19. And once you find your place in Acts chapter 19, we're going to play a little game. So put your, put your Bibles in your laps, all right? And we're going to play... The famous game Hana Hana Kuchi. I know all of you have played it before. Um, some of you are like, what? Who did we ask to come preach today? Kelly is like, ooh, no. Uh, anyway, so uh, he's like, don't watch this video, Brother Kelly. So anyway, uh, we're going to play a game called Hana Hana Kuchi. Go ahead and put your, your Bibles in your laps. You're going to need both hands for this, all right? Uh, both hands, if you have them. If you don't, you can still use one. All right, and uh, you don't have to raise them high for this. All right, you just have to make it to your nose. All right. If, have you really not played Hanahana Kuchi? I mean, everybody played that as kids, right? Miss Ankeesy, I played that in your house as a youth. I remember coming to your house. And play- I'm just kidding. No. So no, what we <laughs> the way it's actually it's a Japanese game, and I have actually never played it before. It's just something I read, and I thought this is fun to mess with people with. So. Um, but it's called Hana 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 is nose, 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 and then coochie is mouth, all right? But what I'm going to do is I'm going to say nose, 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 since you don't know what Hana Hana means, or now that I've told you, but I'll say Hana Hana, and I don't any other word other than coochie, so it'd be weird if we knew that. So anyway, but I'm going to say mouth or some other thing, but I'm going to touch a different body part. So it'll look like this, nose, 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 mouth, and you have to touch what I say, but not what I do. You follow me? Yeah? All right, you got it. All right, you have to touch what I t- touch what I say, not what I touch. You got it. All right, so here we go. We'll practice together slowly, okay? So everybody's got to do it. Come on. I'm. I will do this all day until you do it with me. All right. So we'll be here till one thirty, two thirty, three thirty. No big deal. All right. Because anyway. All right. So it's going to nose, 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 mouth. Some of you touched your head. Come on now. I just explained it to you. All right. So here we go. You ready? Nose, 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 ear. Yeah, yeah, some of you, some of you are still going like this, yeah, you know. All right, so you got it. You know, we won't play again. I won't torture you anymore. You're like, please move on. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that we often do is we sometimes are tricked into following the wrong thing. And this society, this society's been duped, hasn't it? 
And it's been going on since the dawn of time. I mean, we don't look at America and go, oh no. I mean, it's just been going on. I, I'll be honest with you. One of my pet peeves as a believer in Christ is when Christians do this and get worried. All right, because God is the creator of the universe. He's the creator of the universe. And if we say we love Him and say we know Him, then we best believe that He's got all things in control. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and what? Everything in it. That includes Barack Obama. That includes Donald Trump. That includes Hillary Clinton. It's all His and the problem with our world is we, we follow after the vain things in this world rather than simply trusting Him. And I'll be honest, the world has enough of people who are following after things that aren't Christ. What this world needs are people who trust and follow Christ well. And that's what, what, what we're going to talk about today. Hebrews 13.7 says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Mark 13, 5 through 6, Jesus said to them, listen to what Jesus said. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. Anytime the Son of God says, watch out, that for you and me means what? Watch out. Wow. It means pay attention. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive Many. So today, let us all consider, are you and I following the righteous man? Are you and I following the right righteous man? And are we becoming, as Scripture tells us, the righteousness of God? Stand with me if you're able in reading God's Word. Acts chapter 19. And it happened, it says this in verse 1. That while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to what city? Ephesus. Ephesus is really important in the book of Acts. Okay, like if you miss all other cities, don't miss Ephesus. Okay, don't miss Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said what? What they say, church? No. So that means they're not disciples of Christ. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a what? Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you what? Baptized. And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is who? Jesus, we sang about it. Jesus, only Jesus, right? On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Church, that's when they were saved. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and they were about how many men? Twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them became what? Stubborn, hardened heart, right, and continued in their unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for how long? Two years. So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. 
both Jews and Greeks. God, would you bless the reading and the hearing of your word. God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. God, you're my rock and you're my redeemer. We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Hold your finger there. Don't close your Bibles, but you can sit. Because I don't want you to stand for all 50 minutes of this. Anyway, I'm just kidding. Um, but we're going we're gonna to march through all of Acts 19 together, okay? Because I believe that you need to hear more of God's word than my own. But firstly, I want you to note, God followers have the Holy Spirit. And God followers associate with others who have the Holy Spirit. All right? God followers have the Holy Spirit and we associate others with others who have the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted to know who on earth were these religious people following, right? The first question he asked them, right? What was the first question he said? Did you receive what? The Holy Spirit. It's an important question. Paul wanted to make sure they were following the right righteous man. And hear me, there can be churches who are doing great things, but not following the right righteous man. There are ed- I've been all over the world, and especially in Europe, there are edifices set up, and these beautiful sanctuaries, once filled with worshipers of God, are now filled with people following the wrong man. Or wrong woman. Or wrong anything. Wrong ideal. Wrong philosophy. They're not following the right righteous man. Paul wanted to know, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Because, this is important, because the witness of the Holy Spirit is the one indispensable proof that a person is born again. I'll be honest with you, there are times when I'm with someone that I know, before I even speak to them, that man's a believer in Christ. And it's because you can sense the presence of the Holy Spirit with that person. Now, don't ask me to quantify that. Don't ask me to put that as a litmus test somewhere. I can't do it. I just know that when the spirit in me resonates with the spirit in that brother or that sister, I'm like, yeah, that person's walking with Jesus. They smell like him. Does that make sense? You follow me? They, they, they've been with Christ. One of the things I know, I'm going to pick up my dad for a minute, all right? When, when I get in his car, I know it's my dad's car because it smells like him. It does, and that's good and bad, all right? But it does. It smells like my dad. There are times now as an adult, I get in my car, and I'm like, whoa, I smell like my dad, you know? I'm serious, you know? My kids, they get in granddaddy's car, like, dad, he smells like you, you know? I'm like, yeah. So, but you, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives if we've truly been born again. And we can tell when someone else says, Paul thought enough of that to ask that very important question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Listen to what Ephesians 1 says in verse 13. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is a very important question. And church, hear me loud and clear. Today, when you profess Jesus Christ with your lips and accept Him into your heart, so to speak, what we say, at the moment of salvation, you get all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to need. Alright? You're ever going to need. And here's why. We're going to look, continue looking into this and we'll answer more of that question later because you're like, well, Pastor, um, that's not the account here in Acts chapter 19. They got the Holy Spirit when Paul laid hands on them. 
I know we're going to talk about it. All right, here we go. So into what then? His second question is, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Second question is, into what were you what? Baptized, right? Then what baptism did you receive? The NIV says. Apollos, in the earlier chapter, and we won't go back there for right now, but in Acts chapter 18, in verse 25, Apollos had been baptized in the baptism of John, and it's very clear at the end of Acts chapter 18 that this baptism, it was incomplete. And the same is true with these 12 men. Church, it matters that you and I are baptized in the name of Jesus and not in the name of a preacher. Not in the name of, I want to be a different person. Not in the name of, I want to stop drinking alcohol or I want to stop doing drugs. We are baptized in the name of Jesus. And there is under no other name given under heaven by which men can or may be what? Saved. It matters that we're baptized in the name of Jesus. The baptism of Jesus shows the world, I am a new creation. In Romania, with the Roma people. This is how seriously they take baptism. Alright, and I know you've had preachers from Romania have come and preached from this pulpit. But I don't know that you've ever had a Roma. Alright, a Roma is a gypsy. Alright, now I don't know if you know anything about gypsies. Alright, Madonna said something flippant about them in a concert one time. And Michael Jackson did too. And if you watch much of the news, they're, you know, he's not around anymore. Well, I won't say that. Anyway, so... But the Roma, the gypsies, are people. They take so seriously their baptism that they actually call themselves, when they become baptized, repenters. Alright, so their culture knows so much. In fact, the whole town, whether or not they're Christians or not, shows up. And then they baptize the repenter. And most of the time, they've been a believer for one to two to three to five years. Sometimes even longer. I had the privilege of baptizing or being in the pool with a bunch of about 20 to 25 year olds who were being baptized who had all been believers and been discipled for about five to seven years. And from that point forward, they were known in their community as repenters. That's how seriously they take their salvation. Into what then were you baptized? It matters for us that we say to the world, I'm a new creation. The old has died, the new has been raised to walk in the strength and power of Jesus Christ. God's pattern for today, and we will flip over and look at Acts chapter 10. So hold your finger in Acts 19. Look over in Acts chapter 10 and verse 43 specifically. This is the pattern now that was set in Acts chapter 10, okay? For what happens for us now and moving forward on this side of the cross, as we move forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, this is the pattern for what happens when we're saved and what we get. All right, this is the normal pattern. Look at verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness of sins through his name. That's the name of Jesus. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who what? Heard the word, okay, here in Acts chapter 10. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were what? They were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out even on the what? The Gentiles. Up to this point, the Holy Spirit had only been poured out on the Jews. And now, through Peter, the Holy Spirit's being poured out on the Gentiles. If you're a Gentile, I say amen. That's important for you and me. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. God's pattern for today is given here. Sinners looks 
sinners hear the word, they believe on Jesus Christ, and they immediately receive the Holy Spirit. And then they're baptized. It happens every time. And that's the normalcy. What we see here in Acts chapter 19 is actually something special for the city of Ephesus. And we'll talk about that in a minute. These men did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling with them up to this point, And that was proof they had not been truly born again. They were trying to follow God in their own strength and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. These 12 men in Acts 19 were baptized men trying to be religious. The church is full of baptized men trying to be religious in their own power, in their own strength, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps in Americana, saying, I'm going to do it, and not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. The church is plagued with people who are trying to follow God in their own strength, and they always see this as an impossible uphill battle because they're not following God in the power of Christ. They're doing it in their own power. Church, listen to me. You cannot follow God if Christ is not in you. It's impossible. You cannot be a better person if Christ is not in you. And you cannot put Jesus on like you put on a shirt or a jacket. There's two issues some people take with this text. They say, well, what's wrong with John's baptism of repentance? Why wasn't that sufficient? Because it was the baptism of repentance that looked forward to the coming of Christ. So those people, before the finished work on the cross of Jesus, were saved through John's baptism of repentance. You follow me? Because they were looking forward to the cross of Christ. But now on this side of the cross, now that the cross has come, He's died and been resurrected and rose from the dead, you are not saved any longer by the baptism of John the Baptist. You're saved by the baptism of Jesus Christ. And it matters. John's baptism was on the other side of Calvary and Pentecost. The baptism in the name of Jesus was and is on this side of Calvary and Pentecost. Now looking back. Looking at the finished work. I love the fact this cross is here. I love it. So the second issue some people take with this text is, why does the Holy Spirit come on them when Paul lays hands on them? And why do they speak in tongues? Here's a few things to keep in mind. This passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. And what do I mean by that? It's not normative. When you go to the doctor and you have a cold or you have the flu or let's say you have a bacterial infection, even better because they're not going to give you a prescription. All right. So you go there, you have a bacterial infection. The doctor's going to write a what? A prescription for you, right? He's going to say, you need to take this. You need to take this for this many days. This is normative for you in order to get better. All right. But you come and then you tell him about your what? Your symptoms, right? You describe your symptoms to him and he gives you a prescription. Here in Acts chapter 19, we have a descriptive passage, but not a prescriptive passage for us. So we need to be careful that we're looking at it in the right way. All right. Secondly, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Look at verse 11 and 12 again, or with me at at verse 11 and 12. It says, and God was doing what? extraordinary or unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out to them. What I did not see this morning is when Pastor Ken pulled out his handkerchief and wiped his hand and laid it down, people did not come flocking running to grab it. You follow me? Because what was happening in Ephesus was what? What's the Bible say? It was extraordinary. It was what? Unusual. That means it's not normative for today. It was to cause a stir for a reason because this city was full of supernatural warfare. 
They were following demonic influences. And God was trying to make a splash here. And he did fairly well. Amen? Paul was demonstrating God's power right in the middle of Satan's territory. This is not repeated. Other people came to Christ in Ephesus and they didn't receive the Holy Spirit by laying on of hands. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. You read the book of Ephesians, alright? Just read the book of Ephesians. So secondly, here we go. We're going to move on. God followers, we also have the Holy Spirit, associate with those who have the Holy Spirit. But secondly, God followers do not operate in their own power, but in the power of Almighty God. Let's keep looking in verse 13. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, so here's what's going on. There's, Paul's doing this mighty work, and they're so excited about this work that's going on that they're willing to come and grab Paul's what? His apron or his handkerchief, right? Just something to get power from him. And so these guys are like, look, we can do this too. Ha! So they go up to these guys who have evil spirits. They say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But what does the next, what's the next phrase say? Who are you? I love this text. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house, what? Say it out loud. They flew out of the house, what? Naked and wounded. That evil spirit put a whooping on them. I mean, he put it on hard. So much so that they left naked, like willing to be gone. He was probably ripping their clothes off, trying to beat the mess out of them because they came at them in their own what? In their own power. Church, we don't mess around with things like that. And we're messing around too much with our culture, not in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're trying to do it on our own and we wonder why we're getting whooped. We've got to stop doing this in our own power because the world does not find our own power attractive. They don't find our power attractive at all. They find the power of God attractive. They find Him irresistible. Let's keep reading. They flew out of the house naked and wounded. Verse 17, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And what fell upon them all? Fear, right? And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Some people are like, well, why is fear a good thing? Listen, until you see something awesome and magnificent, a little bit of fear is a good thing. I hope my kids are still afraid of me. And if they're not, I'll show them. You know, I do. And it's not because I want them to be scared of their dad's hand. It's because I want them to ultimately one day fear God. Because listen, God's big. And he's nobody to play with. As the Chronicles of Narnia says, he's not a tame lion. He's a, we forget who we're messing with. We forget who we're dealing with. The author and perfecter of faith. Do you understand that phrase? The one who even wrote it's possible for you to believe in him. And we mess with him like he doesn't matter. We play with him as if we have time to play. We don't have time to play. Listen to me, church. We don't have time to play. Am I? Let's keep reading. 
Verse 18, also many of those who are now believers came confessing, there's that word, what we did earlier today, and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. My prayer is that God would so move at this church and at Hillcrest Baptist Church and all over that this, that people would walk out of their homes and say, we've got to get rid of this stuff. We've got to get rid of it. It's over. Do you understand? That's what our prayer is for this church and for others. Oh, we would take off the junk of our lives. And I'm hot. I'm taking it off. All right. So that we would take it off and place it before Almighty God to say, God, here. Uh, here. God gives long tenure, listen, to men of God who operate in his power. Or do you understand how blessed you are to have a pastor who's been here for 28 years? That is a rarity today. Paul, it says earlier in that passage that he spoke in the synagogue for how long? Three months, right? Then he was in Tyrannus for how long? Two years. Sometimes, church, you and I, we miss how much time is actually required in sharing the gospel with someone who came to, to come to faith. We think that just because we're obedient, God's just supposed to do everything for us right now. This story takes place in one chapter in Acts chapter 19, but it covers two and a half years. I was talking to Andrew earlier today before the service. He's been here a little over two years. That's just a blip in the screen of God's movement. Does that make sense? It's awesome, and it's an incredible tenure in this day and age. But it took two years for things to just start going there in Ephesus for them. And then in verse, well, the story takes place in one chapter, but the whole book of Acts, do you know how long the whole book of Acts is? It's about 30 to 33 years. Church, too often times we want things to happen now. And God says, no, I want you to be faithful with me and hang with me for a while, and then I'll show you some pretty incredible things. Verse 11 and 12 says they were extraordinary that were happening. Paul knew God on a first-hand basis. Do we know Jesus on a first-hand basis? That's why these men, these seven sons of Sceva, could do nothing. Because they did not understand and know the power of Jesus personally. Are you and I walking around dropping the name of Jesus when you and I really only have a second-hand knowledge of Him? Many people think they know Jesus, but they only know Jesus through somebody else's life. It would be like if you only knew Jesus based on what I said about Him today. Like, if that's it, if you just left and go, well, I heard a really great sermon, and so I now know who Jesus is, and that's all I need, you're wrong. If all you've got today is what I'm telling you about Jesus, you don't have enough. This is enough. This is enough. God's Word is enough. Many people think they know Jesus, but they only think they know Jesus through somebody else's life. It'd be like reading only devotionals and never reading God's Word. Reading a devotional is like eating food that someone else already chewed for you and spit out. Or putting food in a blender for you so you can drink it. I know people who quote more of James Merritt and Charles Stanley than they do the Word of God. There's not power in Charles Stanley. There's power in the, word, in the Word of God. There's power in the name of Jesus. 
Now, Charles Stanley happens to be a famous preacher because he preaches the Word of God. But we have oftentimes preached other people's words more than we've preached the Word of God. And as Christians, do you understand you have the capability of understanding what Charles Stanley understands? You have the power of understanding what David Platt knows. Pick a preacher, I don't care. Pick one that just astounds you. You have the same power they do. Same power they do. Also, this lets us know that demons observe humans. Ephesians 6.12 says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, right? But against the rulers of this dark world. Church, we have to be careful who we're messing with. And we have to come at them in the power of Christ. Verse 17 through 20 shows us this, that many who come to know the name of Jesus through these incredible things, these people began to know Jesus on a first-hand basis. And in verse 18 and 19, those who came to Jesus realized they could no longer continue to practice in their evil ways. Here's your litmus test for the day. If you want to know if you're following Christ, if you want to know if you have the power of the Holy Spirit residing in you, then you can't continue to live the way that you want to live anymore. That's the litmus test. You can't say, I know Christ, and then do whatever you want. And that's what these men did in verse 18. It says, many of them who are now believers came doing what? Confessing, right? They came confessing, and, and they divulged their practices. And a number of them, of those who had practiced magic arts, brought their books together and burned them inside of all. They counted the value of them that came to 50,000 pieces. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. The total value of the books and scrolls they burned was worth the total sum of the salaries of 150 working men for a year. You say, wow, that what a sacrifice. Really? What a sacrifice compared to the, to the greatness of God? That's like burning your toenail. Now, I understand it's worth a lot in human years and things like that, but com- when you come face to face with Almighty God, you're willing to give all of it up. Here's a litmus test. If you're not, I don't know that you really know Christ. You say, Pastor, that's a hard teaching. Yet it's the same thing Jesus said. And that's the same thing His disciples said. After he fed the 5,000, the next morning he got up, went on the other side of the water. you remember that? He walked on the water, they followed and the people woke up and they were like, where's the guy who fed us? And so they got up, they noticed some boats were gone, so they were like, well, we're going to go. So they marched all the way around, not eating. They show up and they look at Jesus, they're like, where's breakfast? And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, whoa. Well, that's weird. And he's, he says, look, I'm the light of the world. Leave everything and follow me. And they're like, no, that's okay. You say, well, well, pastor, that's just for some. Wrong. That's for all followers of Christ. We don't get to put God on a shelf and pick him up and rub him like we want to and put it back. That's Hinduism. We've got too much American Hinduism going on in American Christianity. And not enough of all-encompassing Jesus gets everything. These people didn't count the cost for following Jesus. They just repented and turned from their sin and followed Jesus with everything they had. Thirdly, 
God followers don't follow the crowd, but they stand for righteousness even if they stand alone. Look at verse 21. It says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent to Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. What that means is about that time, there was a bunch of junk that got stirred up, okay? For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in no little business to the craftsmen. What had happened? Multitudes had gotten saved earlier. Multitudes had gotten saved. They had all given up all of their false things. 150,000, or 50, excuse me, 50,000 pieces of silver of the value of all their scrolls. And their lifestyle started to change so much that they no longer needed the silversmith who made the idols. Guess who got mad? The silversmith, right? These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and he got them together. He said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but also in all of Asia, this Paul has been persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Yeah, that's right. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also this big temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. They're worried that they're no longer holding value their false gods. Aren't you glad, church, that no one can rob God of his magnificence? I am. I read this and I'm like, man, I'm glad I serve a God. You can't rob him. You can't. Verse 28 says, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It's like ants trying to shout out how wonderful they are to an elephant. So the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus. how do you say his name? Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples wouldn't let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Isn't that the truth? You can get a crowd stirred up pretty fast, can't you? Some politicians I know who do. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with a voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemous of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls there. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. The third thing is this. God followers do not follow the crowd, but we stand for righteousness even if we stand alone. All mobs start with an individual stirring up mess not willing to give up something they had or something they thought they were entitled to. 
Demetrius says this sorcery business now is shot in Ephesus. We can't let the false god business go up in flames too now. And you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this. This happens in the church sometimes. God starts a new work. He starts something new. And some other folks lose some power and the way that things had been done up to that point, And they go get a mob because they're not interested in truth. They're just interested in preserving the way they used to do things. Every mob in its ignorance and blindness and bewilderment is a league of frightened men that seeks reassurance in collective action. If you're finding your sense of okayness in the crowd, you're not following Christ. A religious mob, by the way, cried, crucify him, crucify him, which earlier that week they had all been saying what? Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As righteous men and women, we have to be careful who we follow. We have to be careful what we post on Facebook as the greatest, latest thing. We have to be careful what we tweet. We have to be careful what we impart to our children. We have to be careful who we follow. We must check the motivation of the people who are causing the stir. The city clerk is finally the one who gets things under control. And the same tactics used by the silversmith to arouse the crowd actually end up being the same tactics that the clerk used to quiet and reassure them. They both use the, greatest of their, the greatness of their city and the greatness of their goddess to get them stirred up and then the clerk to quiet them down. We have to be careful, church, that we don't get caught up in the mess of the world. That we are a beacon of light, even if we stand alone, even if our own family and friends mock us and betray us, stand alone. Stand alone. And fourthly, looking at this entire chapter, God followers must care about the eternal and not the temporal. Today, church, Ephesus is gone. And so is the worldwide worship of Diana and the Ephesians. Gone. Doesn't exist anymore. The city and the temple are gone. The guild of silversmiths, gone. If Ephesus is a place now visited by primarily two groups of people, archaeologists and people on Holy Land tours. Those are the only people who go visit Ephesus. The gospel of God's saving grace, though, and the church of Jesus Christ, still here. Still here. The name of Paul is honored and the name of Demetrius is forgotten. And the only reason we know the name of Demetrius is because it's in this chapter. The gospel of God's saving grace is still here. We have four inspired letters that were sent to the saints in Ephesians. Ephesians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, and Revelation chapter 2. All written to the Ephesians. The church ministers by persuasion, not by propaganda or by stirring a crowd. We have to be careful. We share God's truth, life on life, because ultimately, church, that's what matters for eternity. Our motivation needs to be love and not anger. You cannot start a church, build a church, or fix a church on anger. It will not last. Our motive, as we gather together, as we look at the entirety of Acts chapter 19, must be for the glory of God and not the praise of men. 
That's why the church goes on. And that we as a church must continue to care about the eternal things, the love of God and the glory of God. Righteous men care about eternal and not the temporal. You have three things listed there that last forever. The first is simply this. God is eternal and will live forever. The second thing is that God's word is eternal and will live forever. And the third is that the souls of men are eternal and will live forever. Our lives on earth are over very quickly. We will either live in eternal punishment, forever dying, or in eternal life, forever with the Lord and true believers in heaven. While on earth, you and I have to make two vital decisions that will affect us and the people we interact with for eternity. We must choose either between everlasting punishment or everlasting life. The consequences of that decision will last forever. The second decision that we must make if we choose eternal life is we have to choose between spending our lives on that which is temporal and that which is eternal. All of this today is for naught if we walk away and go, you know, that was nice. You know, that was good. I I, I enjoyed the music today. Choir was wonderful. It's really good. Good singing, good message. What's, what's for lunch? And we don't stop and ask ourselves, have I ever had an encounter with Jesus Christ and surrendered my life to Him in salvation? Do I have the power of the Holy Spirit? Have I been baptized? And the question for you and me is this, is if you haven't, why not today? I know I, I got a little animated, but I promise you this. As, as you minister and talk with these pastors in love and other leaders in this church, we'll just lead you to Jesus. We're not angry with you. <laughs> we, just, we just get angry with the enemy that he wins sometimes. We get angry with ourselves because we miss out on the goodness of God. We miss out on his grace and his mercy. And we watch people's lives miss out on the goodness of God when they, it's so simple. But our pride gets in the way. So today, would you please, I beg of you, don't let your pride get in the way. As we, as we get ready to sing and, and just spend some time with the Lord. And then we've done that already. You're like, Pastor, we did some confession earlier. Yeah, I know. But we would be remiss if we didn't give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel today. That means you come and you say, I I don't know that I know him. And it's really simple. Jesus said this. He said, I'm the light of the world. He said, anyone who comes to me will be saved. Just believe on him. Believe that he died on the cross. Believe that he rose from the dead. Believe that he purchased a place for you in heaven. And surrender your life to him. And the Bible says you'll be saved. So would you stand with me and we'll pray. Father God, you are good. You're worthy of our praise, worthy of our adoration. God, today, today is the day of salvation, God. Today is the day I believe you want to minister to and through us, God. So if we've never been saved, we've never been baptized, Lord, I pray they would do so today. They'd just come, take the hand of one of these pastors here, whether it's Tim, Ken, Andrew, and just say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe they want to come and join this fellowship. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. I pray that today would be the day that they would join this church. 
Lord, maybe they just want to come and deal at the altar. God, whatever you want to do, I pray you do it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.